Triskelion 14, Ronin on the Rakal Homeworld, Part 2. Oh, I'm a beautiful butterfly. The sun's so bright. Ah, I've caught a warm breeze. Who is that voice? Where, where am I? Hello, Warrior Prince Gurubaba Darum. Don't mind him. That's just Sam dreaming he's a butterfly. If he's not dreaming he's a butterfly, it's a bird, or a famous World War II fighter ace. That's Sam, a pilot in flight, even in his dreams. I'm just a princeling, not a warrior prince. In any event, I now believe my mother has betrayed us all. Answer my questions. Where are we? Where am I? Who are you? My name's Zero. You are a lucid dreamer, aren't you? You should practice more. You're verbalizing your anxieties to me. Now that you've chosen a star map, there are people, things, who could be listening. You're coming across so clearly through the star map. Oh, Sam's starting to wake up. I can feel it. You must find us. Find us in the limitless night sky. Her last words trailed off. Lucid dreaming was a technique I had mastered as a child. But this was purely auditory. I could actually feel myself waking. The slattern silk coverlet against my chest, and a familiar voice amidst the clink of glasses and plates. My prince, your morning reparatif. The drone, an enormous even by drone standards, handed me a fizzing glass of red krill. I gulped it down gratefully. I could almost feel my blood vessels expanding and my synapses lighting up which was plainly ridiculous since I was still drinking it down. Chirondera, good to see you, my friend. Drone Chiron was the only drone I had ever met who was tall enough to look me square in the eye, which immediately caused me to wrestle him, and he promptly thrashed me. Thus our great friendships born. But with friendship comes annoying familiarity. Gora, Chiron said, still towering over my bed. Why didn't you stop for supplies before trying to tail-whip Dora in his den? All the nights we stayed up planning raids, and you come back and don't even stop to reset segments in Decantanta? Had you seen me first, Dora would be tied up in the basement now. Chiron dressed just like my first martial arts teacher, but Master Dokoritir was a psych with bulging eyes, not a drone. Chiron's traditional morning attire looked similar to the flowing one-piece white and black striped dizzying patterned robe of Master Doku's ceremonials. <laughs> Chiron, calm down. I'm fine. I wasn't there to start a rivalry. It's good to see you again. Please, sir. His long alligator-like snout dipped to his right side in the classic dronish exasperation posture. You know your mother is planning a move. Whether to announce the ruler, which I doubt, or some other power grab, most likely with the cloth merchants, now that she's strong-armed tithing from the mining guilds. Dura has been arming forces, and your brother's actions are forcing her to consolidate the merchants at the risk of a fracture. I pushed off the covers. Chiron knew the family business even better than I did. I had no doubt he was right, and that I should have stopped in before heading to the nature lands to confront Dura. We both knew he was right, so there was no need for me to apologize. So Chiron, you've deduced my next move. I reached for the glass of krill for a second swig when I noticed the ovoid star map I had recovered from the dead planet Salacris in the grip of my palm. I looked at it dumbly. How? I glanced at Chiron. 
Sir? I held up the map and then handed it to him so he could inspect it. Chiron said matter-of-factly, It was in your hand when I brought you breakfast. Did it speak to you? Since your communique after Slacris, I have been researching these devices, though not firsthand. Almost all of them seem capable of forging a neural link. Over a hundred of these unusual ovoid star maps have been found in Rakalian territories, though all have submerged under the dark infinite or the black market. Did you get any impressions from it? In my sleep, I must have opened my safe and retrieved it. What should I find in the limitless night sky? Her words were still echoing in my mind. Chiron said, sounds rather poetic, sir. But on to more important things than treasure maps. Dura, enough, Chiron. My mother concerns me. This great fall, this move up of the royal timeline, the familiarity our people have with the Cell Arthro. It feels like, like some great prophecy is coming to fruition. Chiron rubbed his huge flat drone hands together and spread a vicious smile all the way back to his large flat molars. Are we planning a coup then? To upstage someone's intricate plans? Should I gather your powered armor and explosive segments for Decantanta? No, Chiron. Stealth is what we need. Even I can accept that. I need even more information. I've been rebuilding since Salacris, but I get the sense there's a ticking clock over our homeworld. I don't know about the star map's neural capabilities, but my war staff has a fully functional bridge to the Infonet, the Darknet, and the Black Market. Let's arm ourselves with a bit more knowledge this time. As soon as I had gripped Decantanta, I froze. The last part of the outside world that I heard was Chiron frantically calling for me before I blacked out. Hello, Gora. The voice was tiny, electronic, but recognizable as my royal sister, Tresla Tika. I asked her, Tika, why? Pain choked the words in my mind, white hot sound, not at all like the dreaming conversation I had had with the human named Zero. This was some kind of enhanced computer link, like the telemetry our father had used. I generally avoided fully interfacing with a neural link. I preferred just a stream of words like the combat shorthand in my eyepiece delivered by Decantanta, my war staff, which is why I used Decantanta as a bridge. I could only surmise that someone, that Tress, had sabotaged my base network. That Decantanta had linked me up before Tress's speech was auditory, not a stream of combat shorthand like my replies. Your systems are my systems, Gora. In fact, they always have been. Had I your forging equipment, I could even make my own Decantanta from your plans. Tress implied that she knew what I had encrypted in the deepest parts of my libraries. I couldn't let her know how off-balance I was, but I suspected she knew already. I was mortified that Chiron surely saw my chromatone roll purple on my arms. I stated at least in some defiance, Tress, you may have the plans. You do not have the skill, either to forge or to wield. It's not that easy for a lump-eyed flatfish. A lump-eyed flatfish was slang for those who preferred to do their business and pleasure always behind neural interfaces. I continued, you cannot just strut onto the battlefield. What a comic presentation you would be, Tress. A lumpy flatfish in a bathhouse sarong. I could hear the grit in Tress's voice. Oh, I am out of the gel pods and the sweat cleaners. I have been for quite some time, Gura. Admittedly, my skills are in less physical activities. As a matter of fact, right here, bending you to my will. 
I've been into your designs before you even chose them. All the siblings but you know better than to source code with a broken chain of ownership. Your vetting was so easy, and my code is well beyond any of your stock code. Impossible, but I knew Tress was not lying. I wasn't that careful, because I normally did not interface for anything more than flat data. Thorough's power plays had driven me to bridge into my network with Decantanta. No. No, it wasn't Mother who had made me careless. It was Salacris. Not impossible at all, Tress said. I'm sure your friend Chiron will keep you hydrated, and you have no means to block this linkage now that it is established. It may take a few days, but I'll be replacing your stream of consciousness with a slightly more pliable one. Thought substitution with the neural bridge was something I had mastered not a year after Castagenesigora. I had to think fast, but I had no ideas and nowhere to start. I'd only ever used cyberspace as an information-gathering tool. Now images were kaleidoscopic, rotoscoping, turning in my mind, like waking dreams for a second time this morning. It started as a second layer of thoughts, disjointed. I cannot tell how much time was passing. I struggled to let go of my decantata, to even feel it in my grip, when suddenly I started having warm feelings alien and warm feelings for Princess Tesselatika. Wow. No subtlety there. Tress was going straight with commands inserted in my stream of consciousness through the network. Commands and associations. Associations with beauty. With nobility. My mind began filling in all the virtues I believed in. Humility. Prudence. And as soon as Tress accessed in my mind what I respected, she slapped her face on the thought. Tress spoke. I will help you succeed in all your dreams, Gora. The restoration of orthopraxis, the defeat of the cell arthro. It all starts with putting me on the throne. It was not long before I began hearing a second stream of consciousness in my mind. Tress is my friend. She should be queen. The scepter and orb, Terran royal symbols appropriated since our birth, along with the Rakalian blade of ancient kings, and her long white ceremonial trail all appeared in my mind. Her coronation, and I her footstool. I released the decantanta, or maybe I dreamt I released it. Now, thoughts of turning over my wealth, my arms lockers all over the Triskelion, thoughts of being her bodyguard, all anathema to me, normally. Now, the second stream blared louder and louder and louder, and so damn unsubtle. But the more furious I got at this false voice in my head, the more it seemed to gain ground. Then, far away, something cool, like grabbing the full moon, like placing the moon in my hand, cool and distant, where once my staff stood. A new voice entered my mind, different, alien, sharp, and loud, but mostly brassy, happy arrogance, in contrast to Tress's contempt and wheedling, and with that coolness, a raucous shout and laughter, so loud it hurt my tympanum in sympathetic pain. It was Zero, shouting in cyberspace. What is this? What is this? Wow, Prince Goober, you really got yourself into a pickle. Good thing for you. I know a bit about networking and quantum field information substitution. You keep hold of that star map tight now, or you're going to end up ideologically lobotomized. Something utterly alien and weirdly rhythmic and raucous drowned out everything with a kind of oompa, oompa, oompa sound. Simple and repetitive, just so loud. I couldn't hear the voices anymore and couldn't even hear myself. 
Then, Zero said, Ah, nothing like a good polka. And that was not a thing like it. Cleared out this trust person, though, and allowed me to gobble up her ones and zeros in all states. But you, Prince Goober, you need to find us fast. We're heading into Rakal territory. Why? Why do I need to find you? Who are you, Zero? Well, for one thing, to pay me back for rescuing your frontal lobes just now. Make the transfer out to Zero, the artificial intelligence surgically grafted onto the human pilot, Samuel de Griffith, who is currently sleeping on board the woven ship, the limitless night sky. You have what we need to triangulate. Her voice had an infectious joy, but quite out of timbre with where I sat in my mind since my visit to Homeworld. I replied flatly, no. No? Zero didn't sound that surprised. Well, I can't force you, but we need you. Have you ever heard of Providence? She was teasing me. Of course. Are you saying God commands us to be together? Ridiculous. Zero's voice grew pensive. Well, not God, but what if multiversally you could observe this reality as time and space, free will and passion, quantum states, all move and even encompass and take into account your free will, but not change your free will. If all these cosmic variables could be observed by someone who had a truly outside perspective, what if these star maps were then placed such that particular persons with particular talents could find them? Not a few star maps, but thousands, seated in the hopes that some would pachinko their way through Providence for the jackpot. Not God, the master of Providence, but some lesser entity, some lesser entity who hated the cell Arthur as much as you. Would you play that Pachanko chip then? Would you join us then if the jackpot was stopping the cell Arthur? I was speaking to a fabulist. I said, you think these star maps were placed by something that could travel or observe time and space from an external point? And you are led to believe this was done in opposition to the cell Arthur? Zero replied. The physical size of the ovoids matches the exact dimensions of what could be pushed through a dimensional barrier by Drecker's theorem before the necessary energy expenditure jumped up to supernova-like requirements. I tersely said, no, I do not believe this. It's all rampant speculation. I could open my eyes now and continue the conversation. I saw now that Chiron had fetched the star map and had placed it in my palm while my deck and Tanta lay fallen on the ground. I held on to the Ovoid star map a little longer. What makes you think all these outlandish thoughts, Lady Zero? Zero said, Sam and I, Triptych, the only triple jumper, and now you, a founder prince trained in destructive arts, and both maps found in the most unlikely places, in odd places by individuals of power, who had the power or fortune to go where the maps lead both in time and space, to some endpoint, grave point, mausoleum, but with a promise of technology. The maps are not merely spatial, they are providential, with points in time as well as space. I pondered that. Technology to defeat the Arthur. But I must have answers for my people. Do what you need to do, Prince. But remember, Providence brooks no opposition by its very nature. I am offering you passage on the HMS Limitless Night Sky if you need it. And just in case, I'm going to burn in the time-space coordinates for all of our jump points within Recall Space while I am here. And just like that, I knew where they would be, what their ship looked like, what Samuel and Triptych looked like, and more, too much more, who they were, what they wanted, 
And Sam, Samuel de Griffith, he did not want just to oppose the cell Arthro. He wanted something else, something for himself, something unbalanced and dangerous. But then Zero was gone, and so the impression was also gone. I said, Chiron, get my ship ready. Unexpectedly, Chiron stood up to me. I'm going with you. If I hadn't been here, Tress would have cooked your brains. Well, I wasn't going to argue. If my friend was willing to risk his life, and a logistics master like Chiron very well knew what he was possibly getting into, I would not dishonor him by refusing. Then get your blaster ready, Chiron. We're heading to the palace. Fortunately, the impending enthronement caused Queen Mother to move off of her orbital carrier, Heavensward 12, and into the traditional palace. I dropped the star map in my satchel. Maybe Lady Zero was right. Maybe Providence was being somehow observed and something was carrying along with it. And I was a part of the rolling tide. My people needed me and I needed answers from Mother. I placed a more common connection to Tress. No more neural linkages. Just voice, visual, and text dumb interfaces. She answered her image coming up. Tress's chromatoma was gray with exhaustion, even coloring the sides of her neck and up to her cheeks. Her finery of silks and necklaces distracted from her bedraggled body and sunken eyes and gray chromatoma. I demanded, how do I get into the palace? She wheezed at me. Her frame was naturally skinny, like a starving physic on stilts. She whined, all my systems compromised. How? How did you do it? I had your link isolated. How did you craft another bridge? Honestly, I had no idea what Zero had worked through the star map on Tress's computer systems. But I wasn't about to tell her that. I said, there are advantages to being off-world, Tress. The others will stop you. Dora and I couldn't, but... Chiron nasally interjected, mocking Tress. Yes, yes, schematics, door codes, architectural layouts, please, times, and passes, please. You are in good standing. We'll take a full download on attendees and your linkages to the palace security systems. Chiron, you dare extort me? You're no founder. I could tell him what you have been doing. I watched Chiron arch an amused brow. Do you want to cross me, Tress? When I arrange for your present state? Wouldn't I make a better ally? And an even better friend? Is there something sexual in this conversation passing between Chiron and Tress? Rare was it that a founder was stymied. But Chiron clearly had the upper hand. Whatever he had done was his own business. But Chiron and Tress were now on my clock. I interrupted. Tress, I don't care about this lover's spat. See to Chiron's demands or we'll be collaring your infinite from here on out and substituting a bit with your psyche the next time. I had to press this advantage Zero had given us. You win. I am abject. It will all be delivered. Tress was true to her word. She had been rattled and most likely was now busying restructuring her infinite. Chiron said, We have twelve days to prepare for the festival of Kulan. The Queen Mother postponed it several times already. The preparations are shrouded in secrecy. She hasn't officially appeared, but a few times on the upper balconies with the Universalis Cardinals. Some of your brothers and sisters, the bishopric, and every media clown has been invited to celebrate with Queen Mother Thura now that she is on Rakal Prime and out of that orbiting space station. The palace was a dull, massive gray rectangle. Its interior housed great art and architecture. The flat gray granite building acted as a backdrop for the gleaming metal statues that comprised the Gigantor. 
In front of the palace it stood, the great battle scene 100 times larger than life that symbolically depicted the beheading of the king by the last usurper and the end of the third dynastic founder class and the beginning of the fourth. I paused to look in awe. This was a historical site I had not seen outside of holography since I was just out of Castagenesi. We walked down the Palladium Greens and I spoke to Chiron and joined the afternoon sun before our mission began. The obelisks towered over us. See, Chiron? This was the seventh Dolor cycle in a commemoration of the rise of Emperor Kulan Radagar, just usurper Malarastor IV, also known as Malar the Torturer. My favorite story and an excellent moral, one where force of arms won the day. Chiron stated flatly, And superior supply chains and clean radium bomb technology might have made a slight difference too. I laughed. True enough, Chiron, but that takes nothing from the field. Even the radium could not hold the field. Only physics, psych, and drone, united in purpose. Tools are just that. Tools, Chiron replied. Some say the soldiers themselves were tools. I furrowed my brow. Chiron, you start to remind me of the Cellarthro. No recall life has a price. He put up his hands. I don't want to start cracking that old bone again. He suddenly lowered his voice and put on a surprisingly good imitation of me. The valor of the soldier, the courage of the commander to move to act, knowing the oppression of his fellow recall and the manner and the wisdom in these actions are the very yardsticks of our virtue and King Kulan's leverage of morale, technology, and deployment won the day more than the radium. I had to laugh and see. Well, the radium did help. It's an old history now, gathering dust in codexes buried beneath petabytes of data. Chiron warmed to the topic. Is dynastic politics really gathering dust? The sixth dynasty is about to begin before our very eyes. Can you really say you do not covet the crown? He looked at me intently. I grinned and put my right claw against my third incisor and made a flicking motion to Chiron. Basically, Telling him what he said was worth what I picked out of my teeth after a meal. <laughs> Only you, girl. Or should I say goober? Is that what the human called you? wonder what that even means. I replied, it translates to a small lagoon. Huh, that doesn't make sense. Well, I said, also human slang for a naive person. A holy fool. Chiron replied, I assume that's because you wanted... Yes. Because I demanded that I stay the course for my people rather than blindly follow the dreams within the star map. Let's go in. Invisible filament thread cameras and recorders hung over the head of the entranceway. Now, the world, the entire Akal Empire was watching. 42 colonies, 4 planets, and 30,000 differing congregations. The palace itself was built into the base of the monument. All save for the reception areas was below ground. A media clown approached us. A light voice, one I could only describe as goofy, burst out of some purposefully tinny loudspeakers. He dressed in outrageously loud colors to stand out in the crowd. He was a skinny physic with the spindly front arms like bones hooked together and deep, vacuous eyes. Simtar, his name, sported a wide smile that had only the lightest veneer of warmth pasted across his long snout. Simtar droned on with his patter. And there he is, trending at fifth in popularity behind Randaray, Toras, Dora, and Fendu. Here comes Prince Gurababadurum with his famous Decantanta, with which he won the Free Arts Weapon Combat at the 101st High Struggle Champions Cup. Chiron whispered, I always thought it was a bit of a cheat to allow a founder to compete. Simtar continued, 
and with his notorious best friend and raconteur, Carondera. Maybe we can catch a quick comment. What do you think the odds are that your best friend will be the dynasty founder? Chiron warmed to the interview. Well, Centaur, you don't mind if I use two syllables for you. I'm honored. Well, I think Terastoranthor has an excellent chance. There was a roar of laughter from the crowd. The announcer Simtar threw a glance my way and grinned. So, Chiron, you've deserted Camp Gurababadarum. Ha <laughs> ha, like you believe that. That Vestasaur-looking slob Torast hasn't a chance against my good friend Gura. An audible gasp from the crowd followed by more laughter. They loved the faux outrage of a commoner friend insulting a founder. Simtar swallowed nervously. Sir, sir, perhaps you'd like to retract that. If Torast... Away with you, Chiron widely gestured and strode past Simtar like a conquering hero following the red carpet behind me into the palace. Inside was the Confederatorium, the main gathering room for wheeling and dealing, before going underground to attend the conclave. A great blue wall could be seen on the far side. Behind that wall, the founders would have a meeting with the cardinals. It would be the first such meeting, the first all-gathering in a dozen years. Normally, weapons were not allowed in such gatherings, but the Decantanto was a part of my royal heraldry, and, as expected, is Fendelorata's Infotech red dresses. Such were the peculiar advantages of royal traditions. But it wasn't the crowds or the security that was bothering me. The infinite, as expected, was scrubbed here, but I still did not like not having access to fast data. Decantanto's segments 3 through 7 were lined with a variety of sensors, and were sample gathering directly from the atmosphere of the room. What bothered me was the results scrolling across my right contact HUD. During my prep time before this commemoration, I had discovered that imbibing the worm, a practice of eating a processed cell arthro worm as a recreational drug, actually left no ammonia trace in the sweat of its victims. So someone truly cell arthro infected secretes a certain amount of ammonia in their sweat. The imbibed worm head cell organelles were not fully functioning and had no functioning replication or waste systems and soon died out, which is why worm heads had to imbibe daily if they wanted their high. What that meant was there should be no presence of ammonia in the atmosphere here. But I could almost smell it. And like a dowsing rod, Decantata could follow to the highest trace amounts. 25 parts per million, 27 ppm, 30 ppm, it was definitely directional. Someone had passed through this hall, someone infected. How long ago I couldn't tell, but that they were here at all. I felt a claw grip my arm, Chiron, and he pushed me 45 degrees to see Fenfen in another stylish dress of red slattern silk and rubies heading toward me. Once she was within speaking distance, the sensory crawl from Degentanta to my contact lens flatlined. How did she do that? That kind of interference at that local level? It was beyond any technology or even theory I had encountered. Or, more simply put, I just didn't know how she did it. Gora! Fen Fen did a delicate twirl, keeping her tail tightly wrapped about her hips as the twirl completed. Now that our political discussions were settled, Fen Fen was a class act all the way. She looked every inch the princess. I nodded in affirmation of her grace. Princess Fendelorata, you shine tonight. Was that Chiron baffling a snicker beside me? Fen Fen nodded appreciatively, and suddenly she was snickering, too. You need to work on your patter, Gura. In any event, we're inside my personal cloak now, as you've no doubt noticed. We can speak freely for about eight seconds until our media cover becomes detectable. Fen Fen continued, 
I would have briefed you sooner, but that would involve some sort of courier, either biological or signal. And I find I only trust myself these days. She reached out and touched Decantanta. Decantanta started auto-downloading data. My eyes widened. Just how good was her infotech? The scanner crawl resumed. By the time I finished noticing that, Fenfen had already melted into the crowd. Chiron gazed to where she had disappeared. That one, he said, is impressive. I could get behind her. For a moment, my mind went in an awful direction until I understood. Oh, you would support her as Empress? Sure, since you are out of Agora, someone who specializes in Infotech makes decisions before force needs to be applied, my warrior prince. And he gave me a slightly mocking salute. I shrugged. She can have it. I don't want it. So you've said, so you've said. Why not put a good word for me in with your sister? Hiron shamelessly grinned. But his row of razor teeth were quickly hidden by a frown. Uh-oh, Torast, our number one contender, heading our way. Of course, Torast towers over the non-founder class crowd, even the drones, except for Chiron. Psychophants milled about him at the entrance hall. He was half a handspan taller than I, and favored, like myself, ancient weaponry. He had chosen the Imperial Gladius, actually a weapon common during the Second Dynasty. Of course, his blade, like my staff, was for personal defense and infotech. I did not want to get in a fight with him. Odds were 9 out of 10 that we would both die by first strike and posthumous automated reply strike. But there was no danger of that here, at least. Any violence would remove our number one contender from the selection. There were rules to this dynastic business, and open cutthroatery was strictly forbidden. Nevertheless, I had not sought out Terastor because despite preferring the Gladius, Taurus was a blunt-edged war, hammering his way through politics by sheer volume of resources, which was all the more galling to watch because he was so effective at it. Now, it looked like I would be trapped by him. He was working through the crowds. Chiron stepped in front of me to intercept him, but that would be too obvious a slight. He did not want to make an enemy of Torast. Chiron had a wide collar, white with silver pinstriping, almost a cow. I grabbed it and unceremoniously hauled it back. I prepared to face Terast when the seven Goliath Azure doors of the Conclave opened up, allowing us to take our seats. People filed forward, including founders, even Dura, who I did have a mind to hunt down for his coarse attempt on my life. And bishops, merchants, minor nobility, landholders, prominent technologists, crash matrons and patrons, all the upper crust of Homeworld were filing to their assigned rows in the amphitheater, all waiting with only official sanitized media coverage for the appearance of Queen Mother. There was a smattering of human unity military and their political class, as well as woven diplomats of their great trading houses also present, but no house limitless night sky on the docket. I checked it out, just out of curiosity. As glitzy glamour gaga as the whole crowd was, the majesty of the Azure doors was compelling. Non-mechanical, they were perfectly balanced and opened only on this annual occasion. All heads turned, and Chiron and I knew now was her chance as the crowds moved as one to the Azure doors. Echoing my thoughts, Chiron whispered, Now or never, boss. Did Fenfen drop off anything useful? I nodded. Let's hope my dockside negotiating was worth it. Fenfen's directional crawl started over my contact lens's HUD. Decantant had worked through the information Fen had deposited during our brief encounter. And now, through my contact, a virtual blue luminescent pathway was painted and appeared to shoot out from my feet across the floor through people to bang straight into a service entryway, 
made to look like a seamless part of the wall. I was getting the schematics crawling across my lens. We moved to the wall, FenFen's data stream now subsumed inside the housing of the staff and cross-linking and indexing with Tress's maps, led us to the door. I was apparently read by the system as service food handler number 23. The door slid open and Chiron and I slipped through. Ammonia immediately jumped to 58 ppm. There was some activity in the area. The passage was Byzantine. The blue arrow kept guiding me to Queen Thora's chambers, or rather, to a dolly that descended via a shaft down to Queen Thora's chambers. Tress's maps were cross-referenced. Ancient maps, some that had been scanned into the data since they had been hand-drawn ages ago. There was no way Chiron or I could fit down an ancient dumbwaiter slot. The official pathway would not work either. We had no pretext to visit her on this occasion. Snubbing her when I first arrived from Salacris had removed me from private audiences. As Decantana searched for an alternate route, I asked Chiron to begin feeding escape routes into the war staff. He had a matching contact so we could share information. The palace was old, hundreds of years, well before space travel, even back before the industrial ages. This granite stone carved through the bedrock. We descended. Of course, there were environmentals, lights, thermals, a crazy mix of the modern and the ancient. And all the while, the ammonia PPM was steadily rising. But after descending another 300 meters, following twists and turns, we lost the modern accoutrements, and darkness and the cold descended on us, and the feeling of a hundred million tons of granite over our heads. The thought of betrayal by Fen Fen or Tress haunted me. It was not like we had a trust bond. In my desire to make war on the cell, I had gone to the most expedient deals, trying for mutual advantage, but I could certainly be outbid. I was not a political power broker by any means, and Dora had been right. There had never been a more politically charged time in our lifetime. We came to a T-section with both ends sloping down. The arrow turned left and Chiron and I followed. Time passed. We were winding down ever deeper into the bedrock underneath the palace. A voice cried out in the distance behind me. I stopped and turned. Four hundred meters up the corridor, Chiron was bent over, gasping for breath. He said, wait, wait up. I can't keep up with you. You have too much founder energy in you. Slow down. He started walking toward me. I waited and waited and thought. We were down here for over an hour. Our absence would be commented on. But then I was already considered a dark horse, an eccentric, the ambassador hermit who preferred going off-world. Chiron reached me and said, This doesn't make sense. Why would Queen Thora isolate herself like this, down below any common sense? Did she think someone was going to drop some megatonnage on her? Ammonia PPM was now 112. We were not alone. I asked, how many crossways did we pass? Single, double, or triple breaks from the mainline passage? 23, Chiron said. I can recount them all and backtrack if we have to. I wouldn't mind going back. It feels like we have a mountain of rock overhead. Claustrophobic, I asked. No, Gura, but I have my limits. Bodies disappear down here, and there won't be an investigation. We are so far off the grid. The data we have is the data inside your war staff. That's it now. I mumbled double Z. A virtual thin red line traced a path back up the way we came. I knew Chiron shared the data feed. I said, that's the way back to the escape route we choose if things go sideways. Chiron said, yeah, and you. You need to know, in case I don't make it. Don't say that, I looked at him hard. His chromatoma colored his scales gray and he was gulping air. As a matter of fact, I was gulping air too. 
I leaned against the corridor wall and slowly slid down and planted my butt on the cold, hard floor. Chiron immediately followed my lead. We sat there for a while, listening to each other recapture our wind. Eventually, when we couldn't hear the sound of our own breathing anymore, we silently listened to the steady drip, drip, drip coming from some crack in the ceiling that echoed down the corridor. It served as a metronome to our hearts hammering. Chiron asked in the darkness, How far down do you think we are? Immediately, Deck and Tonta answered 1,450 meters underground. I said, Deck and Tonta keeps track of its general elevation. I guess that counts for underground, too. Chiron asked, You really think Queen Mother Thora's down here? I said, I know it. It's what I would do. She's bunkered down. This is an old service tunnel. More mechanized ways exist, surely. But no one's going to drill into her business when she's 1,500 meters below solid bedrock. I could see the blue chroma in the dark reassert itself on Chiron's neck and arms. He was feeling better. I tapped Decantanta, and she gave off a soft blue light to match. I'd read somewhere that matching light to someone's predominant chromatoma has a calming effect. Chiron said, 1,450 meters. Huh, makes sense. Pretty cold and smells raw. Is it worth it, girl? I get that you don't want to be king, but is leaping off into space to fight the Arthro really the best use of our talents and influence? A lot of people respect the warrior prince. They'd listen to you if you talked about the Great Fall. I nodded, my head framed by the blue light. Bishop Lawrence implied something similar. I took a deep breath and expelled it out my nostrils. Chiron... You said it smelled damp. You know what I smell? What? He looked around as if he thought I had smelled a danger. I smell the effluvium that rotted under the whirlpool of bones on Salacris. The muck that the bones and exoskeletons of the cell arthro shed as they devoured all life. All the families. And then, when not a soul was left, each other. Smells sort of like feces and rotten vegetables and salt tears. It's the only thing I smell or taste anymore. I looked across at him. I looked hard. Chiron was unruffled. Yeah, yeah, I guess that wouldn't resonate too well as a political speech with the masses. Raise me up as king and I'll take you on an interstellar war. Huh. Chiron thought I was speaking in metaphor. I said, everyone I talk to doesn't get it. Pictures, even holographs, don't capture the reality. There's a difference to being there on a double crescent moon night, and the wind is whistling through the bones, and the cities are empty and already crumbling into disrepair. It's the stench of death. And if you haven't smelled it, you won't believe someone just telling you about how it seeps up into your brain and makes a home there. I slowly got to my feet. The truth is, it's not a choice, Chiron. I have to burn it out. When they're stopped, maybe I'll get some relief. I think the multiverse will breathe a sigh of relief. Chiron stood up and tried to cheer me up. Well, I take it back. You're not trying to dodge your responsibilities. I should have known better, Gura. You only have one gear forward, like an akak bird can only hop forward. <laughs> I laughed. The image of the small black bug-eating bird known for a truly cacophonous cry, like a drunk clearing his throat holes after a bender. Huh, I said, an akak bird. I kind of like it. But it's time to move out. She's waiting for us. The Queen Mother's down there. My mother. Chiron shrugged. Something's down there. The smell of it's getting stronger. Chiron brushed the gravel and dust off his clothes and looked at me quizzically. Were you just being poetic about that smell? I shook my head. How many Akak birds recite poetry? 
Chiron is still sharing my simultaneous data feed from Decantata. I can see the ammonia PPM. There's something or some things down here with us. And I know you. You aren't going to turn back now until you've had it out with Mommy. You can go back, Chiron. That's when Chiron's right cross sucker punched my diaphragm. The air whooshed out of me. Chiron said, call me a coward again. I said, I'm in this with you, didn't I? How many nights did I stalk the dark net for you? I carried the burden while you were playing ambassador, you royal shit. I want this over with just as much as you. I had forgotten that underneath his easygoing ways, Chiron put his heart and life into taking action. Inertia was anathema to Chiron. How could I forget that? Finally, catching my breath, I said, <laughs> Okay, you traitorous bastard. You don't strike your sovereign emperor, Chiron grumbled. Yeah, right. We both know you aren't going to sit on the throne. We both know, I said, the star map. Chiron nodded. Let's get you your feet, your highness. The number five seed for the Recall Dynastic Throne should purchase quite a few warships from Thura. Decantanta was now registering 225 parts per million ammonia, and I was starting to get a sinking feeling that there wasn't going to be a negotiation. The corridor continued its downward slope. We were still following the blue path from Tress and Fenfen's pre-industrial maps. For three more hours, as the temperature dropped another 10 degrees, someone or some people were playing the drums up ahead. The granite-like passageway opened up to a natural underground cavern that had been carved over with advanced machinery, keeping the natural flow and much of the stalagmites and stalactites exposed. Machinery hummed and softly buzzed. I didn't recognize the large tubes and liquids rushing to the oblong shapes in the back, but I wasn't a scientist. You could hear the drip, drip, drip of mineral-laden water hitting little tambourines, producing eerie rhythmic music. I could see about 100 to 150 feet into the cavern. Chiron and I had succeeded in coming into this chamber from an archaic tunnel. The ritualistic way it was decorated clearly pointed to the opposite end of the room. We came out just behind a large pylon, probably some sort of silent generator. For a moment I gazed out on a frozen tableau. There was a gently ascending slope dotted with stalagmites that had been sawed off leaving little meter-high tables and on those tables rested star maps on what I had at first looked from a distance thought were pillows. Approaching softly, we saw at the base of the star maps and the stalagmites were corpses, cadavers. Some recall, some human, some even woven, all of them riddled with uniquely writhing cellarthro worms, the mature kind that had some appendages like their victims. Boneless hands slithered to the stalagmite pedestal and prodded, poked, and caressed the star maps. Prongs and wires extruded from the mass of flesh and worms. The metal implements scratched at the ovoid maps. Occasionally, some liquid slush was poured over one or another star map to no effect that I could see. I shuddered. As ghoulishly mesmerizing as the stalagmite tables were, drone-sized cocoons were laid out throughout the cavern. I had to acknowledge the center of this, this, what I could only describe as a nest, and at the center was Mother, with her back to me wearing something around her neck, but not Mother at the same time. I sidled to the left, skirting the wall to get a better look. I wish I hadn't. My Queen Mother Thoreau, my mother was a physic, but her eyes bulged now like a psyche. Her gown was a blue cloth torn at the shoulders. Like a scarf around her neck was a maggoty cell arthroparasite, at least a foot in diameter wrapped around her neck two, maybe three times. The bodies were conjoined, 
around the chest and neck by white and crimson silk. In some odd symbiosis, the ends of the worm-like parasite were struggling to emulate the facial features of mother. Two large, pliable bags of flesh on each side of her neck that sagged and swelled, struggling at intervals to produce working eyes and mouths and noses, occasionally succeeding and more often than not collapsing in on itself. I whispered without thinking. Matricide. No. Rescue. Get her to surgeons. I could feel Chiron's piteous stare drilling into my back. The room was lined with at least a couple dozen drone-sized cocoons of similar silk as that at my mother's neck. Twelve cocoons each had scarring across them. I recognized the symbols scored into the cocoon coverings. Each was a mark of the twelve bishoprics of the major arcana, all of them megachurches. Twelve more cocoons attached the walls, held the sigils of my brothers and sisters. I saw my own. All the cocoons on the wall, the ones that bore my and my siblings' heraldry, had already fissured. They were empty. I did not like what that implied. In front of all this madness at the center of the cave was Mother, writhing in agony, and the left head swelling to large proportions looked backward. One large eye took up the entire bloated end of the worm, staring straight at me. The other maggoty head let out an eerie, distressing wail, softly at first, and more air than note, but growing as if it were learning to use vocal cords to grating and unnerving effect. Had I not been to Salacris, I would not have known what my eyes beheld. What I did not expect was the thing that tried to mimic my mother undulate at her waist and slowly turn toward me to speak clearly. Unexpected. You are the anomaly. It is clear to me now. You are the threat. Dear son, give us the star map. Gora, I see you at war with symbiosis, setting yourself up as a cell arthroentelechy. Heresy, this will never be allowed. I knew I was being scanned. My clothes and chirons were giving off a small bioelectric charge, frying the parasites invisible to my naked eye. But Decantanta kept track as the microbes sizzled against the biocontinent charge on our apparel. Recall science knew how to decontaminate, and Chiron and I had taken time to plan. The thing that pretended to be my mother was apparently aware of this too. Behind her, one of the unsplit cocoons started undulating. Mother spoke while the other maggoty head continued to yowl. Rivalry will not be tolerated. I see your Decantanta. Your own authorities have been alerted. Murderer! I know your staff. There shall be no royal... Suddenly, the thing that mocked my mother went into convulsions. It spoke, not with the mocking tone of the Salothro, but my mother. And she only said two words to me. Gora, run! The worms immediately wrapped themselves tightly around her neck, cutting off her airway. No! I screeched, not wrath, not fear, just a shrieking anxiety exploding from me. Sweat ripped from my scales. Chromatoma burned like fire throughout my body. I started to charge forward, only to be held back. Chiron had grabbed me. We have to escape. Look at those pylons. This whole place is shielded. They can hit us. We can't hit them. Decantana's got nothing to pierce those shields that wouldn't also vaporize them and us. Snap out of it, girl. We have to go. Your mother... Your mother died a long time ago. His words were true. I could see the air go wavy in a heat sheen between us from pylon to pylon surrounding the field of possible battle. Decantanta was registering additional poisons being put in the air. Mother was gone. The undulating thing said, You will stay. 
founders are an abomination. Surrender and die, my son. Chiron whispered at me, not sure I like those choices. I replied to it, don't be familiar with me. You are not my mother. My mother's dead. This is just a husk you are infecting. I couldn't think straight. Some small part of me knew I couldn't think straight. My homicidal urge to cauterize this place drowned out reason. It squatted in my mother's body, sitting above the other pedestals on a carved throne of stone. No one can find you or see you here, son. The thing on her neck gave a low moan, awkwardly straining to imitate her speech. I am not your son. I am nothing to you, Parasite. Do you think it is not I, son? I remember everything. I still rule. It is not enslavement, but merely an expansion of survival. My God, he could reason. The damn thing was not completely alien. My hands crept to segment two where the radium bomb was housed. I said, and is survival the point? Or the opposite of adoratio? I reject you. I stand with God. I couldn't feel God. Only hate and revulsion and fear. So much fear. This thing that should not be staring at me now with three sets of eyes. My mother's eyes. Chiron shouted at me. Get a grip. Get a grip. Your chromatomas are crusting scarlet. You're probably already bleeding internally. You're going to stroke out. Chiron was right. I was starting to get dizzy. I could kill them all, I said. I killed them all. Killed them all with explosives. But, but matricide. Chiron pulled his gun and pointed. She ain't my mother. I knocked his arm down. No, we have to find a way to extract her. Chiron said, it doesn't matter. It wouldn't pierce the shield anyway. We've got to get out of here. I've got to make you see. There's nothing we can do. Blaster fire was now coming out from behind the pods. Chiron shouted at me, if it's not fight, it's flight. Run. I'm ashamed to admit I followed Chiron. I ran, and I was glad to run. While the cell arthur that bunched around the corpses at the bases of the slagmites did not seem ambulatory, other recall servants were armed. Mobile gun platforms were being swiveled toward us, most likely calibrated to go through the force field. My star map burned in my pocket, but now I feared to touch it. I don't think it would be Zero reaching out with Council this time. Could they reach through the star maps? They had gotten enough of them under their possession. It was too much I didn't know. Chiron and I ran back and up the corridor, quickly moving out of line of sight of the Hell Cave. When we had distance, we stopped and caught our breath. Chiron asked, You think Fenfen or Tress sold us out? I emptied my gut on the side of the corridor. Gulping air and spitting, I said no. They aren't psychopaths. Selling out to that is just suicide for us all. I kept trying to ignite my reason. Only a ball of fear remained. Run, run, run. Just a tiny part of my consciousness answered Chiron. Son! Echoed upward from the hell cave. Now it was in the hideous triple voice of my mother and the worms. Between gulps of air, Chiron finally got down. Gura! I loaded segment 8 with razor spiders last night. I stared at Chiron dumbly for a moment, then nodded. Yeah, that, 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 that might buy us some time. Decantana confirmed. I opened segment 8. Twenty metal-legged things unfolded from each other, each in a larger-than-fisted leg spreading out a half meter. They scuttled down the corridor. Well, some did. They had advanced AI that was linked to Decantanta's AI as the Warstaff plotted out both an escape route for us and a battle plan for them. 
Chiron and I kept running. Every now and then a command would issue from Decantanta and a razor spider would stop following us and scuttle down a side corridor. None were set to directly backtrack us. Three had been left behind and the counter had been steadily climbing as the minutes clicked by. Fifty-three infected recall bodies were now choking several corridors as the spider blades spun. Two of the spiders winked out my contact's holographic HUD. They had exhausted their energy packs. We were nearing the natural lowest level sub-basement of the palace. By the time we crossed the threshold out of the caverns and into the modern palace sub-basement, the counter read 343 and there were only two spiders still registering about 44 meters down the passage. It was a silent death. The spiders were silent and the cellarthro-infected recall physics made no sounds as they were butchered. Chiron and I slowed down. Now in the palace basement proper, there were normal staff moving about their tasks. A normal hallway now felt unreal to me. People here were uninfected, verifiably so by Decantanta. I also weighed Decantanta over Chiron. He waited patiently, anxiety plainly playing across his chromatoma as the purple tint to his scales creeped up his arms. Well, you're clean. Your biocontainment field wasn't violated. Over my comlink, I heard, you are lucky. They weren't expecting you. It was Fendelarata's voice. You, Chiron hissed. Where in the seven hells did you send us? What do you know? Fenfen responded quickly. What do you know? I have plenty to share and not much time. You need to move and move now. I held up a hand. Decantanta was already registering her coordinates. She must have allowed that. She had proven her infotech was significantly superior to my own on multiple occasions now. The surprise was where her biosignature was coming from. She wasn't at the palace. Again, Fen-Fen's voice intruded over Decantanta's comm channel. Don't let yourself be seen. You and Chiron have orders of seizure on you, as well as orders of excommunication. You have really stuck your hand in a pit of vipers. I'm feeding you a new pathway out, establishing a command link with Decantanta. Will you allow it? Yes, I replied without giving it due thought. I was racing down the hall mindlessly. I had to get away from here so I could drop a warhead on this place. Decantanta had confirmed the Universalis Order's seizure and excommunication. That was fast. How could they push those through so fast? And on a founder? Chiron was of course included. I felt guilty that he would share my fate. Chiron, still sharing Decantanta's data feed, said, It's an understatement to say we saw too much for our own good. They want us put away. Fen-Fen's voice sounded in my ear. Secure channel established. She was speaking in the custom lingo we had used in the crash. Chiron wouldn't be able to understand it. She said, I'm in the palace systems. We have to get you off world. You can't trust your own contacts anymore. They will be rounded up. I'll have a scrub jump jet waiting for you. Follow the red ball. Sure enough, on my HUD was a virtual red ball rolling down the corridor. I grabbed Chiron, but he didn't budge. Fen-Fen shouted in my ear, You don't have time. Follow the ball. I tightened my grip on Chiron's arms. His sleeves were bright red, capillaries in his eyes had burst, his neck was tinged to bright crimson. Chiron hissed, The feed! My public feed! While I had been negotiating with Fenfen, Chiron had been reviewing public data streams on the infinite now accessible as we were in the palace proper. I tapped into the feed Chiron was watching. I watched myself strangling the Queen Mother on the Imperial Dais. In front of all the nobles, I was bashing her head in with my decantata. I denied it, of course, and said, It's a fake, it's a fake! Fenfen interrupted, No. I was there. I knew it wasn't you, but what could I do? The room had a thousand biosensors and all hooked up to public networks. Even your decantata was validated. The palace's biosensors, I muttered. My chest hurt. 
Chiron started moving, stilted at first, then faster. We were scaling a service ladder. Fenfen's chosen path wisely kept us as low-tech as possible. Fenfen said, The palace was ready for you, whatever it was. I remembered the empty cocoons. Chiron said, They can't disguise it forever. Fenfen said, Keep watching the feed, but keep moving, too. The screen went white hot, and there was nothing left on the dais but ash. Fenfen said, A pressurized fusion bomb. No queen mother, no evidence. I watched as the golem, Gura, ran out through the handmaid's entranceway. I started to say, if I can find... Don't be dense, Fenfen interrupted. Whatever that thing was, it was vaporized the moment it left the public eye. The only thing keeping you free is that there's no way anyone could figure you'd be on this side of the palace coming up from that service entrance. I pushed on a ceiling plate and ascended to a low, flat parapet. One of the lesser towers, 20 paces in front of me, were two physic and a needle jet. Looks just like the name sounds, about five meters tall, fastest orbital ship. I advanced, starting to spin Dekantata, preparing to take the physic out. Fenfen shouted in my ear, Don't hurt them, they're mine. They were holding out pilot suits to us. The needle jet required pressurized suits due to the speeds. Fenfen said, It's a one-way trip, pre-programmed, Gura. I know you're innocent, but I can't take the chance of being associated with a regicide and a matricide. This ship is untraceable and built for one run before all parts begin identification burnout, which will also render the ship non-functional. It will get you to Space Station Fortitude. Our brother, Aramaranther, will take you as stowaways. You know you are out of contention, of course, and any service recall who recognizes you will kill you. Her voice softened a moment. Brother, I think this is the end of being a founder for you, at least officially. Though Fen couldn't see me, I nodded. Thank you, Fen Fen. The softness in her voice disappeared as quickly as it come on. Don't thank me. You were outplayed and manipulated, Gura. I think we all were, or at least most of us. Dura was out of position, and Aramaranther was still off-planet. As for the rest, who knows where their allegiances lay? And now, now you may have war, but not the one you wanted. Homeworld is about to burn. Fenfen, I said. It was the Cell Arthru. They were the parasites underneath the palace. Mother herself. Fenfen interrupted me. I'm sure I believe you, and I'm sure that's a problem. But Dura has already declared himself the legitimate heir, and several bishops have broken ranks to support him. If the Cell wanted to make us easy to harvest, I can't imagine a better way to do it. It's civil war. Chiron and I climbed into the two-seater. Fenfen wouldn't risk any variables. It was all pre-programmed. She said over the calm, You kept saying how much worse Lacris was by being there. Homeworld. I'll recall Homeworld, girl. Were there tears in her voice? All our plans were pell-mell. The Cell Arthro were more vicious, more cunning, more alien, and their nihilism had made them unpredictable. Nowhere seemed safe from their biotechnology. I was wanted. Nowhere to go. And I had dragged my best friend Chiron with me. To what end? To what hope? I placed my hand on the one star map on recall that escaped their clutches and launched myself in the void with a prayer. In charging forward relentlessly like the Akak bird, I had failed my people. May God have mercy on me. End of Triskelion 14